next week is next week I'm gonna try to do chapter 25 and 26 together because it's all one story. I tried to break it up, but it's just it, it all goes together. So it's gonna be a lot. I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to go quickly, and I'm not probably won't do every single verse like we're used to. But I, I need to get that whole thing done because 25 and 26 is his trial before Festus and Agrippa. And, and both of those are kind of go together. They're important. This is Felix. Remember what happened? What happened last week? I mean, it didn't happen last week, but what did we talk about last week? In Acts 23, Paul has just what? Come on. None of y'all remember? I must be a sucky teacher if none of y'all remember what we talked about last Sunday. The Jews were plotting to kill, kill Paul. That's right. He had his... Paul addresses the council, the uh, Sanhedrin, about the riot that took place in Jerusalem. Remember the Roman govern, the Roman commander, Lysias? He uh, grabbed Paul, brought him to the Sanhedrin so he could figure out what all the commotion was about. Paul, instead of, Paul got slapped in the mouth when he tried to speak. And uh, instead of uh, giving his defense or his witness like he normally does in these situations, uh, he basically said, I'm here because I'm a Pharisee and I'm on trial for the resurrection of the dead, which caused a riot in the Sanhedrin. They started fighting amongst themselves and the Roman took him away. The plot formed. The Jews were going to kill him. There's about 40 of them. And so the Roman governor finds out through Paul's nephew, who we've never heard of before. Um, and uh, I think that was it. We found out he had a sister. Yeah. The plot thickens. The uh, uh, the Romans sent him to Caesarea, right, under armed guard. So Caesarea is, the whole place is the province of, it's the Roman province of Syria. So when you're, when you're kind of looking at this, remember that you're thinking Judea is the region, but in Rome's eyes, the whole province of the, that Jerusalem, Judea, and all that is, in, is called Syria. And the capital of the province in Roman eyes is Caesarea. That's where the governor stays. That's where his, you know, his, his seat of authority is. And so he's taken to Caesarea. Felix is the governor. And he is going to, uh, he is going to hear the case. Uh, that that Paul is uh, going to give. So let's just start in 24. It says, After five days, Ananias, the high priest, this is the high priest from Jerusalem, descended, which means he came to, came to Caesarea, with the elders, the elders are some of the people that were in the Sanhedrin, and with a certain orator named Tertullus. Orator is, it's strange, they brought kind of a lawyer with them. They brought someone who was trained in public speaking in uh, rhetoric is what they call it, but he was, uh, he was a polished speaker. And so he's going to do all the talking for them in this trial. Um, and they, uh, with a certain order named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. They're prepping for a Roman trial. This is not going to be the same thing as what they had at the Sanhedrin. They're not going to be able just to just to, you know, do some whatever. You remember what happened when Paul was uh, uh, in front of Gallio in Corinth? 
Galileo said, this is stupid. Y'all get out of here. You know, he just let the whole thing go. So they're preparing for Felix, the governor of this province of Syria, that this is not going to happen. They bring in this fancy lawyer, you know, this just a Johnny Cochran of the first century, and they, they, they bring him in, and he's going to do all the talking. So verses 2 through 9 is his speech, Tertullus' speech. What he's going to do is he's going to start off by, he's going to start off, now it almost seems like it's kind of strange to us, but this is the way these things were made in the this uh, way they were structured in uh, at, at this time there was an introduction where you pretty much uh, kissed the rear end of whoever you were talking about you know praised them and honored them and all that and then you gave the charges and then you uh, gave the you know the conclusion that's what he's going to do and Paul's kind of going to do that as well but he's not going to go into as much uh, honoring and praising of Felix as this guy does. So in verse 2, Tertullus comes up. says, And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, and here's his speech, Seeing that by thee, talking to Felix, we enjoy great quietness. He says, Felix, you have brought peace to us, and that, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. He's saying, uh, Felix, since you're such a great guy, You've done so good to us and you've brought peace to us and all these things. He says, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix and all thankfulness. He said, we are so glad to be here before you today because you're such a great guy and you are so wonderful to us. And we have peace, which is what quietness means. We have peace uh, here with you and you have done such a wonderful thing. And it says, notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee. He said, I don't want to waste your time. He says, I pray thee that thou was hear us of thy clemency a few words. What that means is he's saying, I'm praying, I'm praying that you, I'm asking you, please be patient with me. Be patient with me as we present our case. So basically, this has been a whole introduction of how awesome you are to uh, to to uh, to hear our case. He's saying you've done so good, you've been good to us, you've made peace. To us. We hate to waste your time, but please just be patient with us while we while we make our case against Paul. Okay, so he is uh, kind of you know he's kind of kissing his kissing his rear a little bit, kind of sucking up to him. And verse five. He says, I'm, I'm going to try to zip through this because I really have something to show you at the end of this chapter. It says, notwithstanding that I be... No, I already read that. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow. He's a pest. He is, that word means plague. He's a plague upon us. Um, we have found that he is a pestilent fellow, a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He said, this guy causes dissension and rebellion everywhere he goes. Look at the first part of verse 6. Who also have gone about to profane the temple. He said, basically, it's kind of obscured in English, but he's saying he tried to profane the temple. So basically what they're saying is he stirs up rebellion everywhere. This is not just them accusing him of disturbing the peace. This is, this is them accusing him of fomenting rebellion. Or sedition uh, to a Roman to a Roman governor in the first century, this would uh, 
This would be very, very serious because they came down hard on anybody that kind of tried to raise a rebellion or tried to uh, buck the system, the Roman system, because you got to think the Roman Empire was so spread out at this time uh, in the outlying provinces. If anything went on, they had to crush it immediately because if it swelled up, you know, out there on the edges of the Roman Empire, uh, it, it could be very, very bad. It could grow quickly and it would take time to move forces over that way you know it, it was just a very big deal and there were governors that were recalled by the by the Caesar because they uh, they uh, allowed you know uh, riots and all those kind of things to go unchecked and so they were accusing him of this they basically they were basically remember the letter we read last week Lysias wrote him wrote Felix a letter saying look I didn't find anything that to accuse him of other than just all these religious things uh, basically, they're wanting to accuse him of political espionage. They're wanting to accuse him of rebellion. They're wanting to get Paul executed. And so, uh, you know, they, they say everywhere this guy goes, he causes turmoil. Now, if you're the Roman governor, think about Paul's history. Everywhere he goes, there is turmoil. Everywhere he goes, there's riots. Everywhere he goes, they, they put him in prison. They bring him before the magistrates. They stone him. There's riots. Riots broke out in Corinth. Riots broke out in Ephesus. Riots broke out in Jerusalem. Everywhere he goes. So if you're the governor, you're probably inclined to believe this, aren't you? That... Yeah, it seems like everywhere that Paul goes, there's riots. So it's probably pretty. It's probably true that he's stirring up rebellion. Now, who actually caused the riots in Ephesus, Corinth, Jerusalem? The Jews that hated what Paul's message. They didn't want. They didn't want Christ being proclaimed and all those things. So uh, he couldn't. The Felix couldn't just dismiss this like Gallio did in Corinth. He couldn't say, you know what, this is all just religious stuff. Y'all go judge it your own self. I'm not listening to this. This was now a capital case before a Roman magistrate. This guy is a leader of a rebellion that's trying to overthrow the Roman garrison in Jerusalem. And he's caused it in Ephesus. He's done all these things. So now we're going to have to deal with it. This is not something we can just let go. He is a ringleader. It said he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. That word sect is where we get the word heresy. Uh, he's a ringleader of this of this sect of the Nazarenes. And so the Jews are distancing themselves from him. And they want Felix to know. They want him to know that this man is devoted to a man who was executed by the Roman government. They want him to know that the, the guy is following what Rome considered to be a criminal executed by Pontius Pilate. And so he's kind of building this case, and then he tried to defile the temple, which, you know, we know the true story about that. But really now that makes it worse, doesn't it? Because Paul doesn't have to just prove that he didn't defile the temple. He has to prove that he had no intention of defiling the temple. Because it says, it said basically he was intending to defile the temple, but they're going to say later, they're going to say, well, we stopped him in time, you know, before before he got that done. Any questions? I'm just kind of zipping through the opening statements. Basically, we're looking at a trial right here. None? Okay. The end of verse 6, he says, he, well, 6 says, He tried to profane the temple, but we took him and would have judged him according to our law. Is that true? 
They took him and they wanted to judge him by their law. Why is it not true? It's not true, but why is it not true? What actually happened? Remember? It's like, I know it's all the way back in chapter 21, but what happened? Didn't they tell him they no, that was the Romans. We're talking about these are the Jewish leaders here. This is Tertullus is the Jewish spokesman, the Jewish lawyer. He's speaking for the elders of Jerusalem that have come to the trial. They took him and they wanted to judge him by their law. Is that true? They didn't judge him. No, they first of all, it's not true at all. First of all, the elders didn't take him at all. Who took him? The high priest. No. In Jerusalem, who grabbed him? Jews from Ephesus. Jews from Asia, from the province of Asia, which was probably Ephesus is where the city were from. The one, the, the leaders of the Jews weren't even there. They weren't even around. It was a mob that grabbed him, and what were they doing to him? Beating. They were beating him to death. They wanted to kill him. And who stopped him? The Romans. The Romans. That's right. There we go. The Romans came down when they saw the rat. They stopped. And what was the first thing the Romans did? No, they they put Paul in chains. They put Paul in chains. Paul allowed people to come see him and, and Right, but they, they stopped the right so they're lying. This guy's lying. They they did not take him and want to judge him according to why did Paul get tried before kind of tried before the Sanhedrin? Remember why? Because the Roman brought him. Remember? The Roman wanted to figure out what the charges were and what was going on. So he brought him the next day to the Sanhedrin to see if they could figure out what was going on. And the first thing that happened, Paul got smacked in the mouth. Mm. Paul says, look, I'm here for the resurrection of the dead. And immediately Sadducees and Pharisees started going at it. And it got so heated that the Roman just took Paul out and said, you know, we're, we're leaving. We're getting out of here. Okay? Y'all remember all this? Once you say it. <laughs> well, I'm not going to be around forever. I might, might need to remember some of this stuff we talk about. Take some notes or something. Um, this is important, too. And the reason it's important is because you need to realize what we're going to see in this chapter uh, and in the next two chapters as well is that Paul is going to be accused of things that are not true. The testimony is going to be skewed. The testimony is going to be turned in a certain way that, you know, it may sound true, but it's not exactly true. And you need to understand that because that is the way. If you look through church history from the first century all the way up until uh, really the Reformation, that is the way that Christians were persecuted. Nobody's going to come. Per when, if persecution breaks out here, nobody's going to come and say, this person believes in Jesus, therefore we're going to imprison them. They're going to make up some stuff that's not true, and they're going to pin it to you. Like, for instance, they're, they're hate mongers. They're anti, anti, you know, they're anti this person or anti that person. You can already see it starting. You know, they're, they, they, they're just haters of mankind, and therefore we need to get rid of all this stuff. They're going to say things that are not true, and they're going to pin that to you. This has been going on since the first century. So when you look at the news, when you look at the way they paint Christians today, the way they paint Christians' views about different things, they're going to paint them with hatred and all these things. And the reality is we shouldn't be surprised. This has been going on ever since the first century. It's been going on since the church was first formed. It's going to continue to go on that way. Okay? Everybody with me? Alright, so this is important. Y'all need to know these things about, about what's being said at these trials and all this kind of thing. <laughs> Tried to defile the temple. Uh, the, the mob, they lied, said the, the mob grabbed them, not the leaders. 
Uh, and then verse 7, look how they're painting the story to make themselves look good. Verse 7 says, But the chief captain, Lysias, remember him? He came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands. Is that true? No. Why did he take Paul out of their hands? Because the, they were beating him to death. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was trying to quiet the mob. So what they're making it, they're making it look like we were going to handle all this ourselves. We weren't going to bother you. But the Roman came and he just violently pulled him out of our hands. And if it's really his fault that we're here, because we could have had, this is an internal thing, we could have handled it, but the Roman came and violently took, it's not true. It's not true at all. They were, the mob was killing him. He was being beaten to death. And Lysias came and he stopped the mob. He did put Paul in chains, but he was trying to figure out what was going on. So basically, they're, they're, getting, they're setting it up to make themselves look good. The whole trial, they're going to assert, is Lysias' fault. He says, this Roman, he commanded his accusers to come unto thee, by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things, wherefore we accuse him. He said, the Roman is the one that commanded us to come here. He commanded, Lysias was the commander of the garrison in Jerusalem. The Roman is the one that commanded us to come here. I mean, we're here because he commanded us to come before you. We had this thing well under control. We were going to handle it. It was all going to be good. Lies, lies, lies. And then finally he flatters him again. He says, he says, uh, uh, by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge. He basically says, if you examine Paul yourself, you'll understand that these things are true. You'll understand these things are true and you'll know why we accuse him. When you examine him, I mean, you're a smart guy, Felix. You'll figure it out. You just talk to Paul. He's gonna, you're, you'll know. And then all the Jews that were with him, they agreed saying that these things were so. They added their voice to the accusations. Now, quickly, have they given really any proof of anything? No. They have done given no proof of nothing. They have given proof of nothing. They have basically just made some assertions about this is a bad guy. Everywhere he goes, there's trouble. That's basically all they said. And we could have handled it ourselves, but the, the mean, nasty Roman commander, Lysias, he told us to come over here. So now, verses 10 through 21, Paul is going to give his defense. And so it says, Then Paul, after the governor had beckoned him to speak, answered, He's gonna he's gonna begin just like the other guy began with an introduction, little little praise for the guy listening. This is just how they did it in legal proceedings back then. For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Did he did he kiss the rear end as much as the other guy? That's basically all he said. Look, I know you've been a judge for a long time of this nation. I know that you're the governor. And so I, I gladly present my case before you. He says, because that thou may understand that there are yet between 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. Okay, so he's saying that he's going to refute these allegations. For one thing, he says, look, I was only in Jerusalem 12 days. There, there's no time to foment a rebellion. There's no time to, to you know, get people together to try to overthrow Rome and all those things. There's no time. And I went to Jerusalem not to, not to, to, uh, to create a sedition or a riot or anything. What did he go to Jerusalem for? To worship. To worship. That's right. Remember, he came. All these stories are connected. I know we're having to do one at a time each week. But remember, he came into Jerusalem. Came into Jerusalem. 
to bring alms, bring money to the church there in Jerusalem. And when he got there, what did the elders of the church say? James and the other and the other elders of the church. They said, all these rumors are going around saying you're preaching against Moses. So what did they ask him to do? Come on, that's an easy one. Purification. Process. They asked him to go into the temple and to purify himself, not sacrifice animals or anything like that, but take these four guys with him and go and purify themselves. They were under a vow, purify themselves, and that's where they grabbed him. That's where they grabbed Paul, and that's what all this all this started. So he says, I've only been here 12 days. He said in verse 12, I wasn't involved in any disputes at all in Jerusalem, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people neither in the synagogues nor in the city. I, I'm not even sure it doesn't even say in the text that Paul preached at this point in Jerusalem. He didn't get involved in any disputes. He wasn't standing on a soapbox preaching in the temple although he had done that before. He at this time, time huh? He didn't have time. He hadn't done anything. He wasn't trying to organize anything. He wasn't involved in any disputes uh, verbally with anybody. He wasn't fighting with this guy or that guy. He wasn't going into the synagogues at this time to tell them his views or to teach the views of Jesus. He had done that plenty of times before but at this time he was just coming to Jerusalem to bring this gift to the church and he was doing what the elders of the church told him to do by going into the temple to worship and to purify himself. So when they grabbed him, when the mob grabbed him, he had not been preaching, he had not been arguing, he had not been disputing with anybody. He uh, he was going into the temple to worship. And so he's saying basically what they're saying is absolutely false because they didn't I didn't say a word about anything when they grabbed me. And he says, I wasn't in the synagogues. I wasn't raising up the people. I wasn't doing any of this stuff. And then in verse 13, he says, neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. They can't prove that, I, that any of these things are true. They can't prove that I was involved in any strife or involved in any riot or preaching anything at all, let alone anything seditious or anything like that. They can't prove anything. Now, Paul could have just stopped right here and left it. He could have stopped. This was the end of his case. They haven't proved anything. And he is a Roman citizen, so the, the Romans couldn't just you know, send him off to be executed for no reason. They had to prove their case. I mean, this was a, this was a trial, a real trial. Uh, he could have stopped right there. But what he chooses to do is what we're going to see over and over again. He chooses to make sure that the name of Christ is made known. No matter what, no matter what goes on, no matter where it happens, he says in verse uh, fourteen. Any questions, y'all with me? Mm -hmm. Okay. Verse fourteen. Uh, okay, there it is. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way, what's the way? Jesus, uh, yeah, Christianity. the Christianity was called the way at this time. <laughs> after the way, which they call heresy, that's the same word as. Sect is what was used, same Greek word that was used as sect, which they call heresy. So worship I the God of my fathers, being all things which are believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets, and the hope toward God, which they themselves also allow that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. Now, what is he saying right there? This is going to be the refrain that we hear over and over again for the rest of the book of Acts. Paul is saying, I do, I do worship Christ. I do follow, quote unquote, the way. But what's he doing? He's connecting 
Jesus to what? The, the God of Moses. Yeah, to the prophets, to the law, to Moses, the God of our fathers. He is not preaching. Got to get this. We've said it over and over again, but you've got to get this all the way from all the way from the apostle speeches in Acts two, three, and four to Stephen's speech in Acts seven to Philip in Acts eight to all the way through this book, all the way up until now. Jesus and Christianity, the resurrection. That is not a new thing. I mean, it kind of is a new thing, but it's really a fulfillment of all that has come before. This is not a, this is not a, uh, hey guys, y'all dump all that, you know, Moses and the prophets and Abraham and all that, dump all that stuff and let's go follow this Jesus guy. No, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. When we go through Genesis, as we start that, uh, when we get done here with Acts, I'm going to spend an inordinate amount of time in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Genesis. And I'm going to show you that everything that you read in the rest of the Bible flows from those three chapters. And so everything that we see all the way back to Genesis 3 when God promised Satan, he said, uh, when he put the curse upon the, on the serpent, he said, I will, uh, the, the, I'm, gonna, I'm cursing you and I'm going to raise up a seed of the woman who's going to crush your head and you're going to bruise her heel. That was this seed of, it was Christ. That was the seed of the woman. He is the, the one who fulfilled that promise. Abraham is told, you know, I'm going to make your, your seed as numbers, numbers as the stars in the sky and through you, the whole earth will be blessed. Well, Abraham had a great, 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 great grandson. And that grandson was Jesus Christ, through whom all the world was blessed. And so all that is going to be about the gospel. It's all going to be about Christ. So Paul's telling Felix here, look, I'm not preaching something new. Those guys over there who are accusing me, they believe the same things that I do. The only difference is I'm following the way which says that Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. Look what he says. In, uh, if you got a question, comment, crowd, outrage, just say it. I know I'm kind of going fast today. I'm trying to get done the whole chapter. It says, uh, man, I keep looking over at chapter 25. It says, this I confess to thee, which they call a heresy. It says, I worship I, I worship the God of my fathers. I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. I don't believe anything that those guys over there don't believe. Uh, we believe the same things. I am preaching the fulfillment of those things. And he says, and I have a hope toward God. And I said, he says, I have the same hope toward God that those guys have. And that's resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. He's talking about the final judgment. When the dead will be raised and some will go to eternal condemnation, some will go to eternal, uh, eternal life. And he says, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. He says, not only do I believe it, but I live in such a way as to not offend any man or, or God himself. I live in a way that is, uh, that is uh, without offense. I don't know a better way to put it. I, I, I live by this way. I don't just believe it. I, I live by this way. I strive for a clear conscience. And so I haven't offended them. I haven't offended anybody. And so then he's going to describe the events himself. And this is where we're going to get to where we can talk about some things. It says, Now after many years I came to bring alms to my nation. Who is his nation? The Jewish nation. Yeah, the Jewish nation. But who was he bringing alms to? 
Christians in Jerusalem. Yeah, the Christians in Jerusalem. There we go. <laughs> and so he says, I, I can't, this is why I was in Jerusalem, to bring alms to my nation. Um, man, I lost my place. And offerings. What offerings was he bringing? Was he bringing animals and lambs and goats and bulls? No, he was bringing the gospel. He was bringing the gospel, but what are the offerings that he was talking about? Well, he was bringing, that's the alms that he was bringing for his nation. What are the offerings? Come on, I just said it. Why was he in the temple in the first place? Purification. To purify, to bring. They told, remember the elders told him to pay for the four guys that they had that were under a vow to pay for their purification, to offer those gifts at the temple, to prove that he wasn't decrying Moses and all those things. All that's back in chapter 20, 21. He says to bring offerings to, to, uh, to present at the temple. That's why he was in the temple. And he said, when I was there, as that was going on, whereupon certain Jews from where? From Asia. Those were the ones from Ephesus. Remember, Asia is not the Asia, the continent of Asia. It's the province of Asia, which was Asia Minor, Turkey. He says, those Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple. That's why he was there, purifying himself, just not to be pure, but for the sake of all the people, you know, that uh, thought he was uh, getting rid of Moses. He says, neither with multitude nor with tumult. When they found me, when they grabbed me, I didn't have a multitude following me. I wasn't teaching nobody. There wasn't no riots going on. I was walking in the temple court on probably on my way out after I had purified and done the things that were recorded to me. And they grabbed me for no reason. Remember, that's exactly what happened. He says, and then he says, verse 19, who ought to have been here before thee and object if they have ought against me. He's saying, look, the guys who grabbed me and the guys who started the riot in Jerusalem, they're not even here. And Rome was big. We're going to see this in the next chapter. Rome was big about people facing their accusers. You know, you had the right as a Roman citizen to face your accuser. I mean, it couldn't just be hearsay evidence. It just couldn't be he said, she said. And the ones who actually grabbed him, the ones who caused the riot, the ones who arrested arrested him, if you want to call it that, they weren't even there. The Jewish leaders weren't even around. Sanhedrin wasn't even around. These were Jews from Asia that had came and grabbed, hauled him, and they're nowhere to be seen. So he's saying, look, these guys over here, they weren't even there when it happened. It was the Jews from Asia that grabbed hold of me and started all this mess, and they're not even here. And if they got something against me, they should be here uh, giving accusation against me. So he's telling them all this, and he caused no disturbance. He didn't do any of that kind of stuff. And he says, or, el or else let these same here say if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council. That's all that these Jews here could really testify to was what I said during the council. Because that's the only thing they saw. They didn't see the right. They weren't there when the, the Roman came and took me away from all that stuff. The only thing they saw was the next day when the Roman brought me in to be examined of the council. And he said, except for this one thing that I cried, and we saw this last week, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called for question for you this day. That's what he said during the council. Remember? What happened? Well, that's, what's, that's what caused the uproar. That's what caused the uproar. Now, here's what I want you to see. This is what we're going to talk about. I got, oh, I got 10 more minutes. Felix has heard all this stuff. Now, Felix is a notoriously bad guy. I'll tell you, we can tell you lots of stories from history about this guy. But he says that when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, 
he uh, his wife was a Jewish. Why this? Why he knew her name was Drusilla. Uh, why he knew uh, about the way. He, he, de he deterred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. Basically, he just put the whole thing off. He said, you know what? We're going to wait for the Roman commander to come. And he's going to go put Paul in jail. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul to let him have liberty that he should forbid none of his acquaintances to minister or come to him. He's going to keep Paul basically in house arrest. Um, and here's the thing that really struck me in this chapter. It says, And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which is a Jewish, 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 whatever, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning what? Faith in Christ. Okay, Paul, go on, lay it out for me. Lay out, what does he want to hear from, <clears throat> what does he want to hear from Paul? He wants to hear about faith in Christ. Now look what Paul tells him. It says, and he, as he reasoned, this is Paul's message. Righteousness, temperance, what's temperance? Patience, understanding. Self-control, controlling yourself. And what? Judgment. Judgment to come. The law. <laughs> yeah, he gave him the law. Felix did what? He trembled. He trembled. He was terrified. That word emphabus means terrified, scared. And answered, "Go th thy way for this time. When I have con when I have convenient season, I'll call for you." Now think about this a minute. If somebody said, "Okay, I want you to tell me. I I don't know anything about this Jesus. Don't know anything about this church. I want you to tell me about faith in Christ." What would you say? You probably say the same thing most people in America would say. You know, God loves you. And he's got a good plan for your life. And you just invite Jesus into your heart. I'll be good. Is that what Paul said? Uh, no. No. Mm -mm. He told. Basically, you ever heard a preacher say? I know you have. You ever heard a preacher say? You got to get them lost before you can get them saved. Mm -hmm. Basically, Paul, he came with both barrels blazing, and he told him about. He told him about righteousness. Now I don't. I, it could be, but I'm not. I don't think it is. So we can talk about this as a debate about it. It could be the righteousness of Christ, but I don't think it is. I think he's talking about righteousness, like me being righteous, which, you know, we're not. And basically, he was telling Felix what you needed to be in order to be right with God. You need to be righteous and controlling yourself, which means you need to have all your ducks in a row. Keep that law, keep that law, keep that law. Don't ever break it. You know, you break one, you broke them all. And the judgment to come. And if you don't do this, Felix, judgment's coming. Hellfires await, fire and brimstone, you know, whatever, whatever. And that is what caused Felix to get really scared. He knew, I'm not this guy. You know, Felix has an awful, awful history. If you read about him in the history books, he, he's got awful, awful history of, of mismanagement, misgovernment. He's actually, at the end of this chapter, he's going to be, Nero recalled him uh, and replaced him with a guy named Festus. And we're going to see him next week. But uh, uh, he had all this going on. And so Paul doesn't give the message that you would probably hear when you turn on your TV to the Christian TV channel about love, peace, and chicken grease, fire power, whatever. He's not going to give that message. He gives the message of the law. And when you see, when you see what happens is 
You see it over and over again. The apostles, they give the law, the law, the law, the law, the law. And when someone finally is convicted by the Holy Spirit and they say, oh no, what do I have to do? Then you give them the gospel. Then you give them the good news. This is what you must do. Repent and believe the gospel. You must trust in Christ and he'll save you. He'll free you from the law. He'll free you from the condemnation. But what does Felix do? Felix trembled, afraid. Did he repent and trust in Jesus? No, no. he ran like a scared rabbit. <laughs> he said, not right now. I, I, I don't want to hear about it right now. I'll call you later. We'll talk about this later. I'll put it off until another time. I'll put it off until a better, a better time. I got too much stuff I got to get done. I got too much stuff I want to do. And here's the thing. This, is, this might just be my imagination. So I, I'm, I'm warning you ahead of time that I'm putting a little of my own thinking right in here. But I think that after this, this is my, this is my thinking. It's not Bible. So don't hold this to. I'm thinking after this, the Holy Spirit probably didn't draw Felix again. Because after this, it says, it says, and after certain days, oh, we already read that. Uh, as he reasoned righteous, he told me to go away. He said, he hoped also that money should have been given him by Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener, like oftentimes sent for him and communed with him. Felix, Felix kept calling Paul to it. Kept calling. Come on, talk to me again. Let's get together again. He kept, it says, oftentimes he called him, called him. But what did he want? Money. He wanted cash. He wanted to get a bribe. Why did he think Paul had money? Because he had brought all that money to Because he brought all that money to Jerusalem. He found out, you know, look, I brought all this money to the church at Jerusalem. He thought Paul had access to all this money. And so you got that one time. Now, this is just me thinking. So this is, this is not, don't take this as gospel. This is my opinion. You got that one time where... Paul preached the law of God to convict and to, to prepare his heart to receive Christ. And that, that preaching of judgment, temperance, righteousness, it did its job. And Felix trembled. He was scared. He was terrified. The word is terrified. I mean, he was absolutely terrified. And what he did was he put it off. He said, go away. We'll talk about it at a more convenient time. And after that, it doesn't seem like he was terrified anymore. Because every time he brought Paul, you know Paul was saying the same stuff. I imagine he was saying the same things over and over again. Telling him about the gospel. Telling him about the truth. But after that, Felix wasn't terrified. He just wanted the cash. Wanted the money. Now what does that tell you? That he only owns you one time. That the... Yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I don't even think... He, he don't owe you nothing. Well, not owe Yeah, but I know what you're saying. You're not promised. Yeah. You're not promised anything. If the Holy Spirit draws you by the preaching of the gospel, man, that is a blessing. That's a grace. Yes. That's a that's a blessing of God that He's calling you. And there's no there's no guarantee that He'll ever call you again. There's no guarantee that you know you can't just you've heard it preached many times that unless the Holy Spirit draws you, you're none of His. You can't come to Him without the conviction of the Spirit. And here you see an example. Like I said, it doesn't actually say this here. So I am kind of, I'm just kind of reading between the lines and just looking at, based on what the, the rest of Scripture says, I can see this going on. Felix was shaken to his core. He was <laughs> terrified. But he continued to bring Paul in. He continued to talk to Paul. Paul's going to spend two years in this jail. 
And so he continued to, to do this, but there was never any fear. It's never told to us that he ever feared again. Instead, he just was hoping Paul give him some cash, give him some money. And so the last verse says, uh, but after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. Really what happened, what it's saying there is Felix left. He was recalled as governor. Nero recalled him and Festus replaced him as governor. And so you're going to see the trial before Festus in the next chapter and him and Agrippa uh, kind of uh, Herod Agrippa. We're going to talk more about who they are next week. I'm going to try to do both of those chapters. But do you see the point? Paul is accused, standing in trial, lied against, accusations that are not true, presenting his case. Why is Paul so bold, do you think? Do you think Paul thinks he's going to get out of this alive? No. Yeah, you don't think yeah. so? I don't. I, don't. I think he knows that. I think he's going to go to Rome yeah. Oh, that's true. That's God true. told him last chapter, you're going to go to Rome. You yeah, keep speaking. True. You're going to keep speaking. Yeah. So he, he's pretty bold. He's like, whatever. <coughs> he knows that he ain't in Rome yet. He's going to go. He's going to go to Rome. Whether he gets out of that alive is, is a debate. You know, some people say he got out and then came back. You know, Acts is going to end as he's waiting to see the emperor. But he's accused lied on all those things he takes the opportunity even where he's at in this troubled situation to present the gospel and he doesn't listen so even good even good well-rounded believers in a situation like this i'm in jail and this guy who can free me at any at just a snap of his fingers calls and he wants to hear the gospel what am i going to do i'm going to flower that joker up and i'm going to make him uh, I'm going to make him, you know, feel real good and I'm going to do whatever. That's not what Paul does. Paul said, Felix, you want to have. Unless you repent, trust in Christ, you're going you're gonna to face this judgment to come. Paul didn't, he didn't, he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't do any of that stuff. He told him like it is and Felix had an opportunity to receive Christ there. Uh, and after that, we don't, we don't hear anything else about it. So, Two things before we go. Number one, the gospel that the apostles preached was a gospel that included judgment. It included, it included law. Preached the law to convict. The law is the schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. It's the one who's a mirror to show us how ugly we are and how sinful we are. And it pushes us and drives us to know that we need a Savior and to grab hold of that Savior and to trust in Him. It's part of the gospel. It has to be there. Not just Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life. It's part of the gospel. And the second thing is that when the Holy Spirit draws you, man, you better respond. You That's better right. respond because you're not, you're not promised tomorrow. Any questions, comments? Do you think that um, Paul knew that Felix's wife 